I need you to come and help me here. Children, youth of all ages, please come and join me up in the front here. I'm going to have you stand here. Come on, youth. Come on, guys. Who else are we missing? Anybody? Come on, us. You're up here today. Come on up. So um, while you're getting up here, come on. Taller kids in the back. So I, I've got a few questions. I've got one question. What does God look like? What does God look like? I did a little research online, and guess what some people think God looks like? Some people think God looks like clouds. Who wants to hold the clouds? Don't all volunteer at once now. All right. That is an interesting idea to think of God up in the clouds. Has anybody ever thought of God up in the clouds? Well, how many of you think of God as... Ah, okay. How many of you think of God as an old man? JJ? <laughs> Who wants to hold God, the old man? One of the young men? All right. How many of you, this is another one that I found. Sometimes people think God is like a What does the lion sound like? Do you want to hold the lion? And then my last one is some people think that God looks like a flame, fire. Who wants to hold that one? All right. So put those pictures up front. I'm going to come over on this side. Apparently they can see me better over here. So why would, why would people think of God as a cloud? Let me tell you a couple ideas. One is, did you know that when Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt into, into the freedom of the promised land, before they get to the promised land, they went through a wilderness, guess what God said? That he would appear to them as a pillar of cloud by day. So God says, hey, look for me and I'll be a cloud. So that's why people think of God being a cloud. Sometimes we also have been reminded that God speaks to us from a cloud. Did you know what God said to the disciples and to John the Baptist after Jesus was baptized by John? It was a voice from the cloud, Luke says, that said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. And so God speaks through clouds. God said, look for me in the clouds. So that's one of the reasons why people think of clouds when they think of God. What was the next one? <gasps> the old man. Do you know what that, where that comes from in the Bible? It doesn't. 
<laughs> I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find anything about an old man. But you know what I found? In the Bible, guess what, kids? There is an image of God sitting on a throne. And back in the old days when Jesus lived and even the older days before Jesus lived, who sat on a throne? It was usually old men. <laughs> so that's my best guess is how we got the old man. Then there was the picture of the, what's the lion say? Roar. Can you, can you roar for everybody? So be of the lion now. What do you say? Roar. Roar. You don't sound very confident about your roaring. So, so the, the lion comes from Revelation 5. Did you know that, the, that God is referred to as a lion here in Revelation 5? Um, let me read a little bit about this here. Then I saw a scroll. This is John who received this revelation from God. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. Oh, there's the throne, that one sitting on the throne, remember? There was, there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel and uh, shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals of the scroll open? But no one in heaven or on earth was worthy to break open the seal of the scroll and to read it. You know what John says then? He says, then I began to weep. What does that mean? Is that like crying? Then he began to cry because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read it. But there are 24 elders around the throne and guess what? One of them said this. Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Isn't that a cool story? That comes from your Bible. You ever see The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? See that movie? Yeah, you should see that if you haven't. That talks about the Lion of Judah. So what was the last one? Fire. Who's got the fire? Let's, let's everybody see the fire. So do you know where it talks about God being fire in the Bible? Well, we just read it. Remember that God said, look for me during the day, I'll be a pillar of cloud. And then look for me at night, follow me at night, and I'll be what? A pillar of fire at night. Can you see a cloud? Can you see a cloud during the day? Can you see a cloud during the night? Not so well. What can you see better at night? A flame? A fire? The moon. <laughs> well, God didn't say I'm a moon. God said, look for the flame. Look for the fire. And there's one other reference that I wanted to pull in from Acts 2. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit came to the disciples in the upper room on Pentecost. And guess what happened? They all had flames above their heads. They all had fire. God was present with them, each one of them. And we got some fire here today too, don't we? Can we say that God is present with us on the candles? So let me reread just a few verses here from 
Exodus chapter 3. And I need you to help act a little bit of this out, I think. One day, you can sit down if you'd like. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock into the wilderness, came to the Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go and see. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Do you know what Moses was at this point in his life? Sometimes maybe your mom or your dad has had different jobs. Well, Moses is going to have a different job, but what's the job that he has right now? Is he a shepherd? What is a shepherd? Shepherds are in charge of watching something. Do you know what they watch over? Sheep. So I thought, let's, let's try to be some sheep here. All right? Should we, let's get on all fours. Come on. Come on, everybody participate. <laughs> now, what do the sheep say? <laughs> Come on, let's try it out here. <laughs> we need a shepherd. Alex is kind of working like a shepherd, so maybe when he gets JJ, he can come back and, and shepherd us too. <laughs> so, so, Moses was a shepherd. And God... What is God? God is a name. That's what we're going to look at today. What's in a name? I want to thank you for helping me demonstrate some of these things this morning about what we think God looks like, what we think God is, and who we are. We're sheep, right? So I'll let you go back to your chairs if you want with your parents. Oh, take your pictures. You get to keep your pictures if you want. Moses was a shepherd who lived in Egypt. But then he got into trouble and he moved to Midian. He met a priest there named Jethro. He went to work for him as a shepherd. He married a woman from Midian, one of Jethro's daughters. Her name was Zipporah, I think. One day as he's watching and shepherding the sheep, he saw a burning bush. The bush was unusual because it didn't burn up. Now, a burning bush was not uncommon in the desert. Archaeologists have shown us that there's a kind of plant that would, a bush that would exude oily substance on the leaves. And in the very hot heat of the day, 
on occasion, these bushes would combust and they would burn. But when they did, they would burn up. What was unique about this bush is that it did not burn up. It kept, it kept burning. And so when he came close to it, he heard from God the voice from the bush, from the fire, the voice from the fire, Moses, Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. Moses encounters God. And ultimately, in this encounter, he has two questions. Moses carries with him a wealth of experience, but he has two questions. God tells Moses to get up, that he's going to lead the Egyptians out of slavery into the freedom of the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so he is telling Moses, you're going to go and you're going to confront the Pharaoh. You're going to tell him, no more slavery for my people. Set them free. And then you're going to take the people and you're going to lead them out of Egypt through a wilderness to the promised land. This is his first question, Moses' first question to God. Who am I to go and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I, God, to do this thing? What's interesting is God doesn't tell Moses who he is. And I have to be honest, I would be the one telling my child or my youth, explaining why you're going to do this. But God doesn't. God doesn't tell Moses that he is capable and up to the task. I mean, that's what I would do, right? Hey, you can do this. But he doesn't say that to Moses. God doesn't tell Moses, oh, this mission I'm giving you, it's just, it's really easy. Just do it and get it over with and you'll be fine. He doesn't say that either. God doesn't tell Moses who he is. What he tells Moses, remember the question is, who am I? God doesn't tell Moses who he is. But God tells Moses who God is. He says to Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. So Moses asks God, who am I to do this? God doesn't even respond to the question in the way Moses wants God to answer him. What God says to Moses is, I will be with you. My dad was drafted into the military. He didn't choose to go. He reminded me a couple of times that he was told to go. And like the military, this is not a three-month tour. 
This is not a one-year tour. This is a 40-year tour that Moses is going to embark on. When God calls you to do things, things that seem hard, remember, you are not alone. You are not alone. The second question that Moses says, but if I go to the people and tell them that the God of their ancestors sent me, they, they will ask me, what is God's name? What do I say to them? God says to Moses, tell the people, I am who I am. I am who I am. Yahweh is the Hebrew word where we get that literal translation, I am who I am. Yahweh, the way it was pointed in the scriptures when they put together the manuscripts, gets also translated as the Lord. That's why Alex had you substitute Yahweh for the Lord. So what am I supposed to tell the people about who sent me? Tell them I am who I am sent you. The great I am is the sender. And the great I am will complete the work. One of my teachers, my Hebrew professor in seminary, he, he even said sometimes he thinks that maybe the translation should be, I will be who I will be, which kind of gives it an even more powerful punch. It's not for us to know all about God, it's for us to listen to God. I am who I am, I will be who I will be, Listen to my word. And so, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of ancestors, their ancestors, has sent you. Why are you here today? I would guess that part of the reason that you are here today is because you heard about God from your ancestors. I heard God from my Scandinavian ancestors, from my European ancestors. Well, not all of them, but most of them. There's a couple of atheists in the group. But that makes for a really interesting story as well. And so we are here because of our ancestors. And our ancestors have helped us to know that the name of God, I am who I am, the great I am, continues to come. Because God was sent Moses so that they could know that he had been watching their suffering, that he wanted to free them from that suffering, He'd been watching their, their entrapment in Egypt closely. And then God said to Moses, tell them, I promise to rescue you and free you from that oppression. 
and I not only will rescue you, but I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. But God did more than rescue his people. God did more. God became one of us. God sent his son, Jesus, to come and to free us from our sins, to free us from the tyranny of death. And Jesus frees you by his suffering and his death on the cross and by being raised from the dead by God. So now you have two gifts that come from two questions for Moses. God, the first gift, God is present with you. Remember God's response to Moses? That God will be with you. Just as God was with Moses, God will be with you. That is the promise. And then God sent his son who suffered, died, was raised again from the dead. Not only has God come to be present with us, but through faith, we will enjoy an eternal presence with God. So not only will God come to us, but on that last day of our lives, we, we will rejoice because we will enter into an eternal presence with God that will never end. God present with us until that final day when we will be present with God. Two gifts about presence. There is power in a name. There is power in a name. If you have a name that your family gave you for a reason, there is power in that name. And there is power in the name that God has given us through Jesus. Because from Christ, we now are no longer known as sheep. But now we are children of God. Daughters and sons of the Most High. You belong to God. You are God's child. Never forget your name, which comes from the name above all names. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for our names, and we thank you for your name. We thank you that you are the God that will be with us forever. That you will come to us until that day that we go to be with you. Give us your, your presence. Give us faith. When we have doubts and questions, let us sing sing hallelujahs, sing joy, sing joy to the world, sing joyful, joyful, sing that we may continue to follow you as our Savior.